The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squawk Box. Our headlines, Republicans offer a temporary truce in federal funding talks with Democrats, floating a proposal to extend the debt ceiling until December. That news helping markets, sparking a rebound rally in U.S. equities with the positive sentiment boosting Asian stocks after a volatile week. And natural gas prices seesaw hitting new highs before retreating as Vladimir Putin rides to the rescue, offering to boost supply to Europe. Olaf Scholz moves one step closer to succeeding Angela Merkel as German Chancellor as the Greens and FDP kick off coalition talks with this SPD today. Chief Whip for the FDP, Florian Tonka, joins us this hour. And President Biden plus Xi will meet virtually before the end of the year after successful high-level talks in Switzerland. First such meeting since the two countries traded barbs in Alaska earlier this year. So we seem to have a breakthrough. The U.S. Senate is nearing what looks like a temporary truce to avert a federal debt default in less than two weeks' time. Republican Minority Leader Mitch McConnell proposed to extend the debt ceiling to December, buying more time for the parties to resolve their disagreements. But McConnell also attacked the Democrats, blaming them for the crisis. Several Democrats said they would accept the offer, but Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is yet to issue an official statement and the White House hasn't received the official proposal either. Markets are already running with this glimmer of hope, though, around a debt ceiling breakthrough. And you can see it was a pop for the major market stateside. side. A modest improvement is what we had. Don't forget energy has been one of the big themes, too, what the contribution to inflation will be. And the markets closely eyeing very volatile prices and the impact on customers, and not to, of course, to mention the global growth story. So markets at this point in the green, for most of them, a second uh, straight positive session playing out. Uh, the Dow, a third of a percent, 100-odd points to the upside. Worth noting too, Microsoft back in play for investors, the big mover for all three major indices. So the stock uh, well and truly snapped up. I want to take you to Treasury markets and we have seen a little bit of movement here. Of course, 1.53 is where we're trading. We're off a little bit from the highs that we had on Wednesday, the 1.57 that was notched up. So just pulling back in terms of uh, some of the, the caution out there on markets. And you can see that's reflected in the bond market. I want to take you to European yields. We had the German Bund going with that U.S. Treasury in trade uh, this week. And you can see that's traveled a, a long way as a result. Minus 0.17. We were a couple of basis points lower than this again. And uh, you can see we are slowly inching back towards that zero mark on the German Bund. Gilt's 1.07%. 0.89 on the Italian yield. And if we look at paper in France, you can see positive 0.16 where it's trading. 
And the volatile price action really has been around gas prices. And let's just take another quick check. And this is how it looks from the United States perspective. Uh, you can see it is traveling a little bit firmer morning session as we look at November. Other key trades, though, just flipping a little bit weaker. And uh, to Asia, to the markets there, don't forget China remains out of action. It does come back into the trading mix tomorrow. But so far, these markets have been volatile across the region for a number of sessions. Uh, Japanese stocks snapping a losing streak. You can see trading up by eight-tenths of a percent. The Hong Kong market, where a lot of the action, though, is focused 2.4 percent to the upside, more than 500 points higher today. So very strong push into positive territory. Australia, seven-tenths in the green. And the Cosby also clawing back recent losses to move into positive territory. So definitive colour scheme we're seeing from those Asian markets today. And the only cause, let's switch over to Europe and see what's in store for us. We look like we will be in lockstep with some of this positive sentiment. Yesterday, we had the fourth negative session in five for the Stocks Europe 600. We traded down roughly by about 1%. If you dive into some of the, the core markets, we had deeper red ink on the German stock market, shedding close to 1.5%. The DAX this morning positioned to pick up 163 points from the open. So it is a strong bounce back we are anticipating at this stage. Steve, good morning to you. Very good morning, Karen. Uh, let's say good morning to someone else as well. Uh, well. Not only Jeffrey, of course. Good morning, Jeff. But James Athey, who is Senior Investment Manager at Aberdeen Standard Investments. James, Karen is unambiguously right at the wall that there has been stunningly volatile gas markets. But to say the rest of the market has been that volatile, I, I probably take exception, actually. I look at the VIX at 21. I look at the huge factors being thrown into the mix, including a potential US debt default, those aforementioned gas prices, concerns about rising interest rates and the taper as well, the Evergrande story. And actually, I think the markets have been beautifully behaved. I, I take exception with anyone out there who says, oh, my God, these markets have been crazy in October. We've moved a percent here, a percent there. But quite frankly, I think it's all quite calm given everything that's been thrown at it. But more importantly, what do you think, James? <coughs> Morning, Steve. Yeah. I guess it depends on your frame of reference. I think the, the point was we hardly had a 1% move for, you know, hundreds of days. And then we, you know, we get three or four back to back and, and they're all in offsetting directions. So relative to the steady, grinding, rather dull ascent that really had characterised the equity market for quite some time, what we've seen is, is two-way price action in, you know, the sort of two-way price action that we haven't really been used to. As you've said, there's there's good reason why why markets could be choppy because we really are trying to assess the impact of some forces which are pretty huge and and ones which we're not really accustomed to to trying to analyse. So, yes, I I would say markets have been choppy rather than volatile, but I think there's good reason for that. James, I, I beg to differ with you. I think September, we had some pretty decent-sized moves, if, if you don't mind me saying, on, on those original Evergrande concerns and about uh, some of the tapering concerns. Well, I, I, do you know, I mean, I think it's, yes, you have to have a point of reference which is longer than a couple of months, don't we? I'd like to think so, Steve. Again, I mean, I can't, I can't disagree too strongly with you, but it's all... As I say, it's all really rather subjective, depending on what you're comparing it against. Yeah, September was also uh, a sort of choppier month than we've probably been used to, certainly coming off the back of summer where things tend to be rather listless. Um, again, there has been news flow and it's been fairly significant, so I don't think we should be too surprised. We're in that, we're in that stage of the cycle, right? The, the early 
the early stage of, a, of an economic upswing, if that's what we want to call the recovery post-March last year. You know, that's they're the easiest gains for the equity market. That tends to be the case. And then as you move through the middle and, and late cycle phases, it becomes more difficult to just have consistent upswing in, in equity prices and equity valuations. And so you do get more two-way price action. So I'm not too concerned about what we label it. Um, I, I think there's good reason for it. It's understandable that markets have behaved in this way. And to be honest, I, I expect it to continue. James, I want to get into that behavior a little bit more as we, we move on from the labeling, because the, the Japanese stock market for me has been fairly extreme of late. And we, hopefully we can pull up a chart of year to date where it is just a stunning chart. But it tells you a story about behavior for some investors where they've had a green light around hopes of fiscal spending. Some of that's come through and then the, the market's just flopped on the other side. And I don't think this chart is doing it justice. Now, the one I've got on my screen is just absolutely remarkable. What does it tell you, James? about investors searching for some opportunity out there, that they're not seeing a greater, the easy opportunity anymore. You know, everything floats higher when you've got monetary fiscal stimulus. But in this environment, it's a bit hard. And if you do get a clear green signal, then investors just simply go for it. Yeah, I think that's right. The, the rising tide right, uh, floats all boats. I think that's that's absolutely true. That speaks really to, to the point I made uh, just prior that the early stage of the cycle, it, it's you know, it's fairly straightforward for equity markets to, to you know, eke out gains, but to, to do so in a fairly consistent, coordinated fashion. Uh, as a general rule in that early stage of the cycle, valuation multiples are normally depressed at, at the beginning of it. Uh, and so are growth expectations. And in a forward-looking sense, both of those start to improve together and you get this improvement. Uh, some of those unloved stock markets like Japan that you're referring to there, you know, largely that's been a sort of style trade whereby you know, investors have looked into the future, looked at steepening yield curves, rising inflationary pressures, and, and, and described that really as an environment where value stocks should outperform growth stocks. And, and therefore, you look around the world and you try and find um, stocks and stock markets that, that offer genuinely offer value. And so markets like Japan, which have been trading really rather depressed multiples for so very long, uh, suddenly become in vogue again, and investors do rush to, to, to take part in that. Obviously, in recent times, we've had a, a political event in, in Japan, which wasn't necessarily expected with with the prime minister falling on his sword rather, rather quickly, a very short, a very short time, which, you know, historically is the norm in Japan. But we've become accustomed to, to Prime Minister Abe's long tenure. And so, of course, you then get question marks about who's going to be the replacement and exactly what their policies will be. And we've seen some some noise and some volatility around uh, around those political events there in Japan. But broadly speaking, I think it's been one that investors have latched onto because it's been a value play. James, let's talk about some uh, portfolio positioning then. Um, you uh, like the dollar. Dollar bulls, longs against the euro, the Aussie dollar, the New Zealand dollar. What have we got here? The Australian, um, the Australian dollar, as I say, the South African rand, uh, the Korean won. Um, so it's it's only going to be a, a one-way story, is it, from here for the dollar, in spite of the fact that we're already at recent peaks. I love it if it was only a one-way story, Jeff, but uh, I fear that it won't be quite so easy. You know. The market is not letting the dollar bear thesis go easily. Uh, I think that the issue with the dollar bull thesis is that it tends to squeeze financial conditions globally. It tends to be 
uh, problem for financial markets, I think, more than necessarily economies. My, my model of the world is that with a lot of current, a large current account surplus regions and large regions around the world, you have a lot of for want of a, of a less pejorative description, you have a lot of mercantilist business models globally, <clears throat> and those economies struggle when the currencies are strengthening. And obviously, a weak dollar means stronger currencies elsewhere. So economically, I don't see that as a stable equilibrium at the moment, not until the likes of China and the Eurozone can resolve their domestic demand issues. So uh, a strong dollar, I think, is economically more stable, but it tends to be more destabilizing, destabilizing for financial markets, particularly emerging markets. Um, and so the market wanting to cling on to this sort of risk on uh, environment for as long as it possibly can struggles with the idea of a stronger dollar because that tends to be uh, a bit of a problem for that risk on thesis. So the market isn't letting go of the weak dollar thesis easily. Um, so I do think we will see ebb and flow. But broadly speaking, uh, I see two future states of the world as being most likely. One is that, you know, things are as good as the market hopes in terms of growth expectations for next year, a bit of normalization of inflation. But that, that will mean the Fed will be uh, taking away the punch bowl from next month onwards, really. And that should support the dollar conversely. You know, if my more miserable outlook is is closer to correct and we see growth disappointing relative to expectations, uh, then I think we could see some headwinds for risk assets, a bit more volatility, the likes of which we've seen in the last last few days and weeks. And, and that would tend to support the dollar as a, as a flight to quality play. Yeah, and just uh, related to your view on how the world unfolds into that normalisation of inflation trends next year, uh, US flattener added and you've added duration beta. Just tell us how you've done that. Yeah, so US flattener is a very similar thesis to, to the dollar, the idea that there are two states of the world and, and they both should flatten the curve, a bear flattener if it's it's the sort of pro-growth scenario and a bull flattener if it's the risk-off scenario. So just using this recent steeping, which didn't, you know, notwithstanding some of the inflation pressures that we've been seeing, the steepening didn't really, to me, make sense because the, the Fed has shown that it's it's feeling somewhat antsy about its current stance of policy. And so further upside risks to some of the key stats for, for Fed policy should pressure the front end more than the back end, in my opinion. Certainly, if the word stagflation is out there, that's not a steeper curve environment. So a bit surprised we saw the curve steepening. Possibly there's some positioning there. So just use that opportunity to add. Duration beta, we, we nibbled at some Aussie duration. Again, we see China as uh, a concern going forward in terms of growth, the, the magnitude of that growth, but also the type of growth, the way in which that growth plugs into the global economy. We would see that as a risk for the likes of Australia and Germany. And obviously, the RBA continues to burnish their dovish credentials. So we like Australian duration we've added there. Um, and then also some spread risks. So just actually buying treasuries versus, versus bunds and versus Italy. Um, we think the fourth quarter is going to be tricky for the eurozone. We still haven't seen the peak of their inflation pressures. The ECB's got a very difficult meeting in December where the chances of communication mishaps are high, broadly speaking. Uh, the ECB is probably going to be interpreted as dovish, I think, for the, for the next couple of months as they try and extricate themselves from the pandemic emergency purchase programme um, without doing too much damage. I think that will be difficult. So we think uh, European rates will underperform, but that, that spread tends to act as, as a long eye. If rates are falling, treasuries tend to, to fall faster in yield terms. James, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us at this hour. James Athey, Senior Investment Manager at Aberdeen Standard Investments. Um, Did you ever watch The NeverEnding Story? I think I do, but I don't really remember it. I do remember it. You weren't even born then, were you? 1984.
You know, I think it was around then, Jeff. Sci-fi <laughs> fantasy story. Right. Uh, as I recall, it all revolves around a little boy called Bastion. Was Michelle Pfeiffer in that one? Is Michelle? I think she may have been. You know, do some digging. My memory is not mm. that good. 1984 is a long time ago. Now, the reason I mention it is, will this German deal never be completed? This right. uh, Venovia Deutsche Wohnen deal. So we've got an extension, uh, an extension of the acceptance period. Now, you, you, you may recall that uh, initially there was some issue uh, with shareholders pledging their stock to finally get this deal over the line. So ultimately, um, Venovia came out and basically said, look, you know, we, we're not going to go for the majority uh, number that we'd previously put in. We basically just need enough people to accept it, to, to get it over the line. But they're having a struggle with that. So they've, they've put in an additional acceptance period, which will begin on the 8th of October and now ends on the 21st of October. Shareholders who have not yet accepted the offer have the opportunity to tender their shares during the additional acceptance period at €53 Euros in cash per share. Venovia, of course, will become the majority uh, shareholder ultimately of Deutsche Wohnen. But it, it does seem that there is still some foot dragging as far as the pledges are concerned. Uh, the group uh, says um, after the end of the regular acceptance period for this voluntary takeover offer to shareholders, they've achieved a target of 60.3% of voting rights of Deutsche Wohnen. Clearly, though, some further work to be done. Uh, the 1985 movie, we were a little bit wrong with the referencing here. I think it probably mm. applies to a Chinese property group because uh, the boy reading the book goes into a mythical world of Fantasia. So mm. I think we're talking about a different property developer. Yeah. Not necessarily the two yes. German ones. Yeah, but there is, I mean, Steve was talking about this earlier in the week. Uh, and Fantasia, of course, was a wonderful film. Yes. And there's that terrific scene where Mickey Mouse is trying to constantly fill the buckets because the um, broomsticks uh, are out of control. Do you remember that? It's a terrific, vaguely, vaguely. Terrific scene. I think it's I tried to block such a great <laughs> metaphor for the global economy right. and the way central banks well, keep trying to fill up the, the buckets with money and the money just keeps... Anyway. And investors chase after it and try and put it in their own bucket. Yep, yep. OK, we're going to reset. Let's take a, a swift break. We'll be back in just a moment. Talks kick off in Berlin today to form a new so-called traffic light coalition government. Just ahead, we're joined by one of the key kingmakers in the negotiations. Uh, Florian Tonkar will be with us. Chief, chief whip of the FDP. This is the Liberals who will be a key element in that so-called traffic-like arrangement. They will effectively be amber or yellow. And for more on Thursday's Rebound Rally, you can check out the Sportbox podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Morning, everybody. Germany's uh, Social Democrats will today begin negotiations to lead Germany's next government as it aims to forge a so-called traffic light coalition with the Green Party 
and the Free Democrats. If successful, it would forge post-war Germany's first three-way ruling coalition. However, several sticking points between the two kingmakers still remain, particularly around Germany's finances and social policies. Annetta joins us uh, uh, with uh, more on this uh, story. Uh, and we also have uh, Florian Tonkar, chief whip for the FDP. Uh, Florian, let's... Um, well, you know what? Annetta is, uh, is with us and up first. So let's just uh, bring Annetta in on the conversation first. Annetta, just lay out the situation for us. Well, as you were pointing out, we are headed for a three-way three um, talks today. It will start at 11 o'clock in Berlin. And it's the first time that all three parties, the Liberals, the Greens and the SPD, will come together to discuss whether they can compromise on all these issues. They are having a lot of different issues, ranging from no tax hikes from the Liberals. We'll hear more about that from Florian just in a second or in a minute. Then we have, of course, the SPD, who is calling for tax hikes to, uh, to finance a lot of things, uh, the transformation of the economy, but also uh, probably put more money in the social system. And then we have the Greens, who are calling for an earlier exit uh, of coal and also an earlier exit of the combustion engine. So there is a whole mix of policies which are very dear to the heart of their individual con constituencies. So it, it remains to be seen whether they really can find a compromise. But I guess, and that's what I'm hearing as well from Berlin, there is really a will to find that compromise, to forge a government, uh, and that a lot faster than the last time around in 2017. Let's bring in Florian Tonkar. Annetta, terrific. Thank you. Stay with us. Ask some, ask some questions of Florian. But Florian, good to see you and thanks for giving us your time. Florian is the chief whip of the FDP. Um, Florian, if you could um, help us understand how far away we are from an agreement at this stage between the three parties in talks. Well, we are still in the very early stage of uh, the negotiations to form uh, a government. Uh, yesterday, there has been a decision made to start with uh, Social Democrats and Greens, but it's still it are still um, the, the, the very first talks, uh, no formal uh, coalition negotiations, and these talks uh, starting today serve the purpose to yes to uh, elaborate whether there is enough um, uh, common spirit uh, and whether there are enough common projects which bring the country forward uh, and there are challenges uh, definitely and there will be tough negotiations but indeed um, all democratic parties are obliged to try to compromise to try to find solutions to bring the country forward does it depend on what positions are offered to your party? I know there's been a lot of talk about whether your boss, Christian Lindner, uh, basically ends up with the finance ministry. Is that a deal breaker for the FDP if he doesn't get that job? It's not. It's, today, certainly, the um, distribution of ministries will not be discussed at all. And it's not the um, deal breaker or something decisive. It's rather the, the direction the country takes uh, because we have indeed, um, as already mentioned, uh, fundamental disagreement so far between, uh, between uh, on the matter how economy shall shall work shall be driven. Our party is more in favor of a market-driven economy with a correct framework, for instance, to achieve uh, ecological uh, environmental goals, uh, whereas the Social Democrats and Greens rather favor 
um, to the state, the government to intervene into uh, yes production chains, into um, a, a frame, setting a framework which products shall be produced and which not. And I think these are um, the really crucial points, uh, the relation between government intervention and market. Florian, there are reports that uh, since the election, uh, some polling has favoured Olaf Scholz, that his popularity continues to rise in the German electorate. Do you sense that uh, on the ground? And is there a duty to try and deliver on that uh, election result uh, that uh, very much puts Scholz in the, the top position? Well, for us, it is decisive that we form a coalition which is able to um, work for four years at least in a constructive way which makes the country better and prepares it for future and not so much the polls uh, in the current situation. Indeed, there is a certain momentum in favor of Olaf Scholz uh, in the direct aftermath of the election, which has to do with the state of the um, Christian Democrats, um, uh, the, with the, the currently um, ruling party. But um, uh, in the end, this does not replace, this momentum does not replace the necessity to find uh, yes, uh, sub substantial agreement on the future of the country, and this is what we are guided by. Florian, how conciliatory are these discussions that are taking place behind the scenes? Uh, are we seeing that uh, the individual parties, the three parties in the discussions, are willing to, to give ground at this point? Well, there, there is a big willingness to build up confidence uh, amongst each other. One has to know that a coalition between Social Democrats, Greens and Free Democrats in Germany is still a very unusual model. It has not been practiced often uh, during the last decades even. So it is an experimental um, uh, solution, an experimental construction. And uh, the last days have been used to build up confidence. I think there is a professional a way to deal with each other and um, so far um, a, a good basis for the negotiations. But there is not yet uh, any agreement, uh, e even not any secret uh, agreement uh, <laughs> on, uh, on, the, on the key substance matters which are lying before us. And so we must focus, we must concentrate, but it will be tough negotiations uh, and we shouldn't create an expectation that uh, it's only a question of a few weeks and then we have um, a, a perfectly functioning government. I expect a much tougher um, uh, procedure towards uh, an agreement which will hopefully bring the country forward in the end. Uh, Florian, I wonder what particular issues come up in these conversations. I mean, Europe and Germany are experiencing an absolute crisis on energy prices at the moment. Energy vendor uh, has huge question marks over it. Both the FDP and the Greens have been opposed at various times to Nord Stream 2. The FDP have called it a vehicle for Kremlin geopolitical interests as well. What are the single issues such as Nord Stream 2 come between you being part uh, of a coalition or not? Well, we, can, we cannot anticipate, of course, any compromise in every single issue, but um, indeed the, the Greens are fundamentally critical about Nord Stream 2. The FDP says, um, in, in principle, it's a good idea, but currently, under the current circumstances um, and uh, the Russian the policies, we need a moratorium, and uh, the Social Democrats are rather in favor of it. This, this is, of course, something we will have to discuss, um, but it's not in the center of the focus of the negotiations. Um, it's certainly fiscal policies, tax policies, um, and also um, the, the, the techniques with which we achieve environmental goals, uh, but uh, still um, uh, keep Germany an industrial country with a highly competitive, worldwide competitive uh, and successful industry. 
Um, and this, these are, I think, the, the key factors um, where we will have to find agreements and where it will prove most difficult to find uh, proper solutions. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the specific issue there, what would be the sticking point for you then on the, on, on the fiscal front that would keep Germany uh, at uh, its industrial forefront on a global basis? What would be the key issue that you uh, and indeed the SPD have the biggest difference of opinion that cannot be bridged at the moment? Well, we, I, I won't speculate what, what, um, what cannot be solved or what, what will be solved. Um, but um, just looking at, at the programs, I think SPD and Greens favor higher taxes for the free Democrats. Um, we, we have clearly said before the election and afterwards that we won't participate in a government which is um, raising the tax burden for, for the citizens. And we also said clearly before the election, and it's still valid today, that uh, we won't engage in attempts to, uh, yes, to, um, uh, to weaken uh, the constitutional rule in the German uh, constitution, which is limiting um, the, the debt uh, the government can, can raise, the so-called debt break. So we, all, all, all fiscal and financial policies, all political priorities of a new government in which we participate as free democrats will have to um, remain within the limits, within the boundaries of the constitutional debt break rule uh, and um, also within um, the, the limits um, uh, of, the current, of the, current, the current taxation, which is already high. I mean, the taxation in Germany, both for private persons as for companies, is already quite high and has been uh, rising for a decade now. Our uh, tax uh, revenues have been rising higher than the economy um, for a decade now. And uh, this is a tendency I think Germany should not um, continue with, uh, but, but rather try to set the right priorities to empower the government uh, to, to act effectively with a, um, uh, with a money it has already, rather than uh, finding uh, new ways to tax the citizens. Florian, can we be very clear as well about where you stand with a coalition with the CDU-CSU, the so-called uh, Jamaica outcome? Can you rule that out for us at this stage or does that still remain a possibility? No, uh, this is a very important question and quite, quite the opposite is correct. Our uh, party board and our parliamentary group has yesterday discussed the issue and has clearly said that the so-called Jamaica coalition with the Christian Democrats and Greens remains uh, an option for us, which is um, which has a, a substantial basis. Uh, so we are starting now with the uh, Social Democrats, but um, indeed we adhere to um, the option of a Jamaica coalition should the talks with the Social Democrats and Greens um, prove unsuccessful in the end or direct the country into uh, the, the wrong direction. So th this this was very important for the Free Democrats to to stress yesterday. Although uh, there are internal difficulties within the Christian Democrats and the Christian Social Party from Bavaria in particular, I think there is a much internal struggle currently, um, which which makes it difficult to to speak with them in in this week or next week or maybe two weeks. But the the option remains on the table um, as there is a mathematical majority of. Uh, of these parties in Parliament, and as long as this is the case, and it will be the case for the next four years, of course, um, it it is an option. And whether it will be needed, of course, largely depends on um, the how how the negotiations, how the talks starting today, um, will develop. 
But Florian, in that situation, could or would the FDP accept Armin Laschet as Chancellor? A lot of people think that he's dead man walking at the moment because of the failure, really, for that combined group to poll higher in the election. Well, we we will we will uh, we will try to form a government, a coalition with other parties, other democratic parties, which brings the country forward and uh, decides in favor of the right projects, the right political agenda. This is our um, a, a key desire, and uh, there is a good tradition in Germany that um, the um, personal of other parties is not discussed by its competitors during um, uh, talks and negotiations, and I will adhere to that. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.